one. I'm a bit uh, stuck here. Can we just take this out a little bit? Okay. This front row is always, I think it's reserved for Jesus. I think you all, <laughs> everyone's afraid of sitting in this front row. Um, but that's cool. Jesus gets a front row seat. Um, it's good to see all of you. Who's here for the first time? I see a lot of faces. Awesome. Lots of you are here. Can I just hear some places of where you're from? Colombia. I think my dad spoke about you. You were in Kashgar? Yes. Where are you from? Libya. Libya, there is some, a very good chef. If you want to eat good Libyan food, that's where to go. Cameroon. Back there? Brazil. Chicago. Sweden, nice. <laughs> Say that proudly. Brazil here again. You guys? California, nice. Texas, okay. Angola, look at that. Give everybody a round of applause. This is very cool. It's so good to see people from all over the world coming and worshiping the same God. And last week, Ruben and I, we weren't here. Um, we were at a church called Vida Lisboa. Um, some friends of ours invited us to go and minister to their church. And it was just a really good time to, to be with their church family and to minister and to also share what God is doing at Riverside Lisbon and what God is doing at the Lisbon Project. And um, Ruben and I always find it a bit funny. We were driving home and, and commenting on how interesting it is when we go to a Portuguese church and it just feels so homogenous. <laughs> it feels so uniform that people kind of look the same. People all speak the same language. They all, um, when you greet somebody, you know how they're going to greet. They're going to give you the two beijinhos, the two kisses. And in our church, you never know. <laughs> you never know if somebody's going to hug you, if somebody's going to kind of nod, if... Um, people speak different languages, and they're from different parts of the world. And, and so it was great to be with their church family. But we always kind of miss our own church family when we're away. And we love being here with you, and we love the diversity of our church. Um, but thank goodness we live in an age of Facebook and Spotify. And so I was able to go back and listen to Pedro's message. Uh, and it was just a really, really great message. I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't already. Um, but we're in this series called Kingdom Rules. And so Pedro last week, he talked about um, the purpose of multiplication in Christianity. He did not speak about the, the bread and the fish and the feeding the 5,000. He spoke about this purpose of going out and making disciples and this multiplication factor that is the essence of Christianity. He talked about how Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives us the great commission. And then he talked about how this one man named Paul, and because of his obedience, there was a ripple effect in the lives of hundreds of people that because Paul obeyed the call to passionately talk about the kingdom of God, that it had a ripple effect in people like Timothy and Priscilla and Aquila and Luke who wrote the 
the Gospel of Luke and who wrote the book of Acts that we have in the Bible and how because of their faith and their passion, it was just so contagious to the churches of Ephesus and Rome and Galatians and all these churches that really initiated the work and the move of the early church. And how beautiful is that, that the contagious um, spreading of the gospel had such impact in hundreds of lives. And he talked about how if you would have asked any one of those guys or women that they would still be recorded and that we would be talking about them today, about 2,000 years later, they would have had no idea because they were simply obeying the call of God on their lives then. And then Peter said, God wants to do the same thing with us, that God wants to use your life. Are you available? Are you willing Are you ready to obey the same commission that compelled these men and women to go out and preach the good news of the kingdom of God? That God wants to use your life to impact one, ten, hundreds of lives, who knows, for his glory. And I promise that I'm going to preach another message today, not just recap all of Pedro's. But I loved how he phrased it, that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God. And I know that I've spoken about this before, but I think it's never too much to recap, especially because we have so many new people here today. But the kingdom of God, that is two things. It is dwelling and it is dominion. It's dwelling in that Jesus comes and and this is God comes in the shape of man and his name is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so he comes to dwell with us. And then in Acts chapter 2, we read of the Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes, and what is that but God with us. And God has called us as children of God, as sons and daughters of a king, to have a relationship with him and enjoy his presence, enjoy his dwelling with us, a God who is in his essence love. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 16, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And so the kingdom of God is dwelling. It's right relationship with our creator and father. And then it's also dominion. That through faith and by grace, we would enter into the dominion of God, which was his plan all along. That we would submit to his authority and that we would live out our unique calling to do the the kingdom work. Because God is holy, the 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 Greek word for holy is hagios. And it means set apart. It means sanctified, sacred. And so anything that we think of as belonging to God is also holy, is also set apart. And the Bible says that you and I, we are called to be holy. We are called to be set apart. And and set apart not to just conform to the kingdoms of this world, not to just to conform to the patterns and the culture of this world, but that we are set apart to fulfill the great commission, to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, telling them about the things that Jesus has said, the things that Jesus can do, and bring transformation to our society to bring the character of God to situations, to bring, to bring light into darkness. That is what we are called to do. It's really just an exciting message. It's a message of restoration. It's a message of transformation, and it's contagious. And it's an exciting call to live out. This is the kingdom of God, which is not complete yet, 
But it is already here and it's already now and we get to live it out. And I'm sharing this with you today and recapping what the kingdom of God is and recapping what Pedro talked about last week. Because to tackle today's message, we need to have a biblical understanding of what the kingdom of God is. As we close this series today, we're going to dive into something that is very dear to the heart of God. Our love for the poor. Our responsibility to help the poor, to serve the poor, to walk with the poor, and to preach the kingdom of God to the poor. In the New Testament alone, we read about the justice for the poor and serving those in need over 500 times. That's like one in every 16 verses. God is speaking to us about our responsibility to care for the poor. In the whole Bible, we read about it over 2,000 times. And so we start to understand how important this is to God. And then in Matthew chapter 25, we don't have it up here, but, but we read one of the biggest paradoxes that I find in Christianity. A paradox is just a seeming contradiction that our God, the King of kings, the God who is majestic, God who is creator of the universe, who has everything and is complete in himself, would relate to the poor, would identify himself with the poor. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 that he is the hungry one that he is the naked one, that he is the prisoner, that he is the immigrant, and that when we serve the least of these, we are actually worshiping God himself. And then it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. God's heart is committed to the poor. It is a consistent message throughout the Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, God gives the nation of Israel very clear instructions of how they were to care for the poor. It says in Exodus that they, whenever anyone would loan to the poor, that they weren't supposed to charge interest. And then in Deuteronomy, it says that they shouldn't resent the poor, that they shouldn't harden their hearts to the poor. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says that it goes to the detail of telling employers that they should pay their employees their, their wages before the sun sets because the poor, they rely on those daily wages. And then we read in Proverbs that mistreating the poor is actually disrespect to God himself. In chapter 14, we read, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. And then in the New Testament, we read in 1 John chapter 3, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And so I hope that just in this, in these few minutes, we, we've seen how clear it is that loving and caring for the poor is part of the job description of a Christian. It's part of what we're called to be and to do. Compassion is an essential characteristic of who we are. The church should be identifiable by the way that we care for the poor. So why is it important that we understand what the kingdom of God is? Because the way that we understand the kingdom of God will ultimately shape the way that we care for those in need. 
You see, too many Christians have understood the kingdom of God as something that is reserved for the future. Something that's not necessarily now, but one day they'll, they'll enjoy. One day they will see the kingdom of God. So if you were to ask them, well, what does a good life mean now? What does success mean to you? And, and how do you achieve it? Well, I think maybe their answer would be success means get your soul saved, check, and live a good material life now. Live material prosperity now. Basically, they're saying, well, if, if, if I can just make sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and then now I'm just going to live the dream. I'm going to live my best life now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, maybe not the American dream, because the Portuguese dream is very far from that. <laughs> but I'm going to have a good job, and I'm going to have a good family, and I'm going to try to save up, and maybe I'll have a good, comfortable car, and maybe we'll go on vacation twice a year, and we'll have a good life now, and then when I die, whew, my soul goes to heaven, and that to them is a good life. But the problem with that is that not only is that completely not what God intended, but when you reduce the gospel to get your soul to heaven and live your best life now, then your view of poverty will be distorted, and the solutions that you bring to poverty will only do more harm than good. Why? Because you'll limit poverty to a lack of good or lack of, of goods, and your solutions will invite the poor. The way that you try to solve poverty will only encourage and invite the poor into a materialistic, self-centered consumerism that doesn't satisfy anyone. And so if we want to live out this call to truly care for the poor in a way that is uplifting and empowering and long-term, then we need to get a better perspective on poverty itself and understand that the kingdom of God is here and it is now. And a lot of my message today, it comes from this book that I read about five, six years ago. Anybody heard of this book? It's called When Helping Hurts. Leanne, nice. Um, I am I'm one of those people that I'm, I'm willing to lend my books um, they are written in and they're highlighted in, but if you would like to borrow it, then I'm happy to, um, <laughs> yeah, you can just sneak, sneak it. I'm happy to lend this book to you, but I really encourage you to, to read this book. It really changes um, the way that we think about poverty, and I'm going to try to do it justice today and bring some of the ideas to you this morning. Um, but if I were to ask you to define poverty, what would you say? And I know that um, we have poverty in Portugal. Poverty is everywhere. And some of you come from different countries and different realities where when I say the word poverty, you have a very clear picture of what that looks like. Maybe in different parts of Asia and Latin America and different areas in the world where maybe even the village where you come from and, and the reality that you lived um, growing up, you have a different image of what poverty looks like. But if I was to ask you, what is poverty? I think many of us would, would define poverty as, as a lack of appropriate housing, a lack of food, a lack of, um, of health care, a lack of some material thing, right? A lack of, of, of good and, and adequate income, a lack of some material thing. And yet, it may be surprising that when the World Bank conducted a study back in the year 2000 where they asked the poor to define poverty... They define it in a vastly deeper way. They described feeling a lack of dignity, 
feeling ashamed, feeling trapped in a system that doesn't work for them, feeling like they have no network, no support system. And so while the lack of resources were definitely acknowledged, they describe poverty at an emotional and social dimension way beyond the mere physical. And so we have two different definitions of poverty straight away. And, and when these two different definitions and when the rich who define it one way and the poor who define it another way, when these two interact based on their own perspectives of what poverty is, the outcome is so many times is not godly, it's not sustainable, it's not empowering. And we'll talk about this interaction a little bit later. But what does the Bible say about poverty? And scripture says, to begin with, scripture says that God is a relational being. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, his essence is relational. And the word says that God created us in his image, Genesis chapter 1. And so we too are made and created for relationship. And if we look at Genesis in the creation story, we see four prominent relationships that God created us for. And I'm going to ask Alana to put up that slide. There you go. Four prominent relationships that we were created for. Our relationship with God, the spiritual domain. Our relationships with each other, the social domain. Our relationship with God's creation, the physical domain. And our relationship with ourselves the mental, and the emotional domain. And so we experience life abundant when these four relationships are lived the way that God intended them. His desire was that we would live these relationships to the full as image bearers of God and his character. But in Genesis chapter 3, we read of the fall. And, and sin enters the world, and each of these relationships are broken. First, we see our relationship break with God in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, when Adam and Eve become afraid of God. Before, they would walk with God. They would, they would be boldly in his presence, and now the Bible says that they are afraid of God. And then we see the relationship between people breaking as Adam and Eve start blaming each other for what had happened. Our relationship with creation is broken as work becomes painful and toilsome. And our relationship with ourselves is broken because instead of having a sense of dignity and worth and capacity, the Bible says that Adam and Eve are ashamed of their humanness and they hide. And it is these broken relationships that are at the root of the poverty that we see today. When these foundational relationships are broken, then the systems that human beings create are also broken. And with many people, these broken relationships, they result in material poverty too. But if the material lack is all that we see, then when the way that we try to alleviate poverty and the suffering of our neighbor will be superficial and short-lived. Because here's the thing, broken relationships, they don't work for the materially poor, but they also don't work for the materially rich. If we look at this image developed by one of the authors of this book, um, Brian Fickert, we see how broken relationships manifest themselves differently for the materially poor and the materially wealthy. 
We see that, in, in, and this is really, you can see it in different regions of the world that are maybe more economically poor and other regions, um, mainly the West where we are living today that are materially wealthier. And we see that the relationship with God is broken as people in, in, in um, poorer regions, they worship other gods and, and all kinds of spirits and religious practices where in the West we see that people usually just deny God altogether. They deny his existence or that God could possibly have any role to play in our lives. And then relationship with others in many parts of the world where there's ethnic conflict and there's religious conflict and all kinds of civil wars. And, and in our community, in our culture, society here, people are so self-centered. And so our relationship with others is broken because there is no sense of community. There's this individualistic culture where it's all about me, 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 and what I want and where I want to go. And then our, our relationship with the rest of creation is broken as so often the materially poor, they, they fail to take dominion over creation, fail to, to see the, the gifts and, and the capacity that God has given them to pursue different, um, different areas of life and, and, and different careers and, and different ways of generating income for themselves. Whereas in our culture here in Portugal, you just have people that are addicted to their work and their work becomes their God. And so the, the relationship with creation is broken there and then relationship with self is broken as a materially poor so often have this marred identity where they have lost any belief in themselves they've lost confidence they've lost a, lost a sense of value and a sense of worth and yet for the materially rich the the, the relationship with self is broken as, as we have this God complex, we think too highly of ourselves. We, we're so filled with, with pride of how good I am and how capable I am that we've lost all humility as we think so highly of ourselves. And I want to focus on this broken relationship with self. Because as I mentioned earlier, the way that we are broken, and, and I'm speaking here for myself, considering myself rich in this scenario, the way that we are broken and the way that the materially poor are broken is a bad mix. Because when people with a sense of pride and superiority interact with a people that are ashamed and have a sense of inferiority, then, this, then the way that we speak to the poor and how we act around them and how we try to help them, even if it's with great intentions can further their sense of inferiority, can, can put them even deeper into a sense of, I can't do it. I knew I wasn't enough. I knew I needed somebody from the outside. I knew I needed somebody to save me. I knew I had no capabilities. I knew I wasn't valuable enough. Robert Lupton, author of the book Toxic Charity, he calls this poverty of self a conditioned hopelessness. When you have no confidence, no hope, and no belief that there is a way out. And so when we limit poverty to a lack of physical things, to a lack of material goods that we can simply throw money at to solve, we rid people of their agency and the poor get poorer and more passive while the rich get more proud. And we start to think of ourselves as superior and we start to think, well, I knew that person was just lazy. I knew they're just useless. I knew they're good for nothing. I knew that they don't have the work ethic that I have. They don't have the ambition that I have. They don't have the drive that I have. No wonder they are where they're at. 
and the rich only get more superior and proud. And so if we want to fulfill the Great Commission to go out and make disciples of all nations and to have this contagious love for people, then we have to fulfill the Great Commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be clothed in humility, knowing that we too have a poverty of broken relationships. Alleviating poverty is not about us, the rich up here, going down and, and fixing the poor down there. It's rather about walking side by side in our common brokenness and need for reconciliation through the work of Jesus Christ. It says in Colossians 1 verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Alleviating poverty is about reconciling relationships. A journey in which we walk hand in hand as God restores our relationship with himself, with others, with creation, and with self. The kingdom of God is here and now, and we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. It says in 2 Corinthians, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This understanding has to transform the way that we interact with the poor. Because now we see beyond just their physical needs. We put aside our pride to just swoop in and be the hero, and rather we look deeper as we try to relate to and somehow alleviate their spiritual, their emotional, and their social needs too. We have to look at people holistically. You see, economists too often, they've reduced people to just being material beings with physical needs that need to be met. And the church has all too often reduced people to being spiritual beings, where we preach all day at them, and yet they are sitting in our church hungry, unable to hear the message because they have so many physical needs as well. We have to deal with the person in a holistic manner and preach a holistic gospel. And so how do we help without hurting? We're going to look at two practical ways that hopefully we can put into practice in our daily lives and as a church. How do we help without hurting? First, we move from a relief approach to a development approach. Relief is when tragedy hits. It's when there's an earthquake. It's when there's an accident. It's when somebody has all, all of a sudden they've lost someone in their lives and they're in a crisis. At that moment, people need immediate support and relief of their suffering. There's a time for relief. That's why when the pandemic hit in March 2020, we realized loads of people in our community and in the Lisbon Project community that all of a sudden they'd lost their jobs. They had no income. They were isolated with no way to put food on their tables. And so we raised a whole lot of money and we just made food hampers because we needed to relieve these people of their suffering and we needed to provide food for them and their families. But here's the thing. Most people are not in a crisis. We need to move away from a quick fix to a journey of development and empowerment. 
understanding the underlying causes that have brought this person to where they are and committing to walking with them as we both walk hand in hand to find change. But that's the thing. We like relief because it's short term. We can just come in, do our thing, and leave and go back to our comfortable lives. Development requires commitment. It requires time. It requires a process of ongoing change. Our role as an outsider should not be to to do something to or for the economically poor, but to find solutions with them. In 1 Corinthians 13, we read that it's no use doing all kinds of grand acts of generosity and to have all the faith in the world and to sell all of our possessions if we have no love. Rather, it says that love is patient and it's kind and it does not envy and it does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Loving the poor is standing with them. It's journeying with them. It's believing that God can bring a new chapter, that God can restore, that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives just as he does for our lives. And secondly, we need to move from a needs-based approach to an asset-based approach. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so the Bible begins by just laying the table and saying, we all share of this inherent value. A value that is shared by every man, woman, and child on earth. A value that is shared by the American CEO and the Nigerian fisherman. A value that is shared by the Indian villager and the German politician. We all are image bearers of God himself and we have this value that is inherent to us. And so where needs-based development, it focuses on the deficits in a person's life. And it assumes solutions come from the outside. Oh, I see that you don't have this thing. Oh, I see that you don't have that problem fixed. Oh, let me just come in and let me just solve this for you. An asset-based approach, it focuses on the person's value and their skills and their potential and their abilities. We start to see people how God sees us. We start to ask more questions and to listen more intently to the responses. Well, what, is, what are your dreams? What is your story? Tell me what has happened in the past and where do you see yourself going in the future? What are your gifts? And we start to infuse a sense of confidence into people. We start to inspire dignity into people. And all of a sudden, people who are hunched over feeling like there's no way out for them, all of a sudden, because you're walking hand in hand with them, their back is up a little straighter and they start to dream again. And they start to believe in themselves again. And they start to go after that job that they've always wanted. And they start to attend that class more punctually. And they start to learn the local language because they believe that, no, I can't do it. It's hard. It's difficult. And the challenges that before they couldn't even look to, now they're looking boldly because they believe that, no, I can overcome this. 
If God says that nothing is impossible, then with God and through faith and by grace, just as my neighbor did it, I can do it too. That is helping the poor. If we move from a relief approach to a development approach, and if we take away this needs-based approach and we go into an asset-based approach where we focus on the skills and the value that is inherent to everyone, that is how we bring a leave relief. We might even, too often we, we set up situations where we forget our equality of value, right? And we, we go to help the poor and we think, no, but I just... I'm a little smarter. I have a little bit more experience. I, um, I have more answers. And so really it's just much easier if we just get this over with and I'll just solve this issue for you in your life. And maybe we might even get a thank you from that person. But in the long run, we won't see transformation. Helping the poor without hurting them is inspiring them of their own value and worth and capability. That circumstances don't define them, God does. And that there is a way out and that there is hope for change and for improvement. Because God is in it for the long run with us. I mean, how many times do we beg God, just fix my problem. Just make my difficulty go away. God, you could just snap your fingers and this could all be solved. And yet, God is more interested in our character and the underlying issues in our hearts that need to be addressed. God values the process. We read of Paul asking God to take away a hardship and God replies to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then we read that God is patient with us, that God gives us agency. He didn't have to, but he does. God gives us control over our own lives. He gives us agency and he, he gives us opportunity after opportunity to turn back to repent and turn back to him. It says in Second Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We are called to have compassion for the poor, to stand side by side in our common need for Jesus Christ. And alleviate suffering through a ministry of reconciliation. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I know that maybe this is a, a different message this morning. And a brief message this morning. I think I've been brief this morning. But if the church could understand this. If we could have an understanding that it is our command. That it is it is dear to the heart of God that we should not harden our hearts to the poor, that we shouldn't resent the poor, that we shouldn't neglect the poor. And maybe we're not living in, in, in the realities where many of you have come from, but there are poor all around us. If we could understand that it is so dear to the heart of God that we would help the poor and serve the poor. And if we could capture how to do it. If we could change the way that we help the poor in a way that doesn't do them harm, but in a way that uplifts them, in a way that's sustainable, in the way that we can truly see transformation, not only in their lives, but transformation in our lives, as in the process of helping, we also become reconciled to others, to God, to creation, and to ourselves. 
That's why we started Wednesday workshops. And that's why we talk about Family Fridays every single Sunday. <laughs> For those of you who have been here in the announcements, we always talk about something that we call Wednesday workshops, where it's basically a dinner that we have. Um, we have a, an organization throughout the week called Lisbon Project, where we help migrants and refugees and, um, and all kinds of activities. And we started something called Wednesday workshops where the idea was for um, the church and Lisbon Project community to have dinner and then go off to a class. Some can go to a Portuguese class, some can go to a Bible study, and we talk about this every single Sunday, and we invite you to be part of it. And then we talk about Family Friday, which is just from 2 to about 5 p.m. on a Friday, where we just hang out. No plan, just hang out, play ping pong, play pool, be together, spend time, no, no different people, Invite somebody for coffee. And the reason that we do this is because the beneficiaries at the Lisbon Project, migrants and refugees that come seeking our help, more than jobs, more than healthcare, more than any service that we can provide, they need reconciliation with God, with self, with creation, and with others. And it is our strong conviction at this church and at the Lisbon Project that if we commit to spending time with people, if we commit to the long run, if we commit to coming on a Wednesday, week in and week out, showing up, just saying hi, just having time, intentional time to be relational with people, that God can use us to uplift people from their brokenness. From a brokenness of Genesis chapter three, and we can bring people and ourselves back to a wholeness of Genesis chapter 1, back to God's original plan for them and for us. I say this all the time and, and to our team at the Lisbon Project, and I'll say it here as well, but we cannot just be a service provider. And at the Lisbon Project, we have six different programs and, and six different areas where we try to empower people, whether that's in employment or healthcare or legal aid or um, health. Did I say, yeah, I said healthcare. I can never remember the six programs, but we have six programs in different areas of integration that we try to help people in. And I always say, we can't just be a service provider. We can't just be here to give people a quick fix to their problems. We, where we treat people just based on this needs, needs approach. It's as if um, my daughter, Jaden, and I read this example um, this week somewhere. It's as if my daughter, Jade, was bullied at school. And she was mistreated at school. And then she comes home and she's bruised and she's, she's feeling terrible. And it's a, as if I would just give her a five-year-old note. Here you go. And for a two-year-old, a five-year-old note is nice. <laughs> but that's not what she needs. What she needs is to be embraced. What she needs is to be told that she's incredible. What she needs is to be told that she is loved and that whatever this bully said is not true. What she needs is to be infused with confidence and with acceptance again. And too many times, people are walking in to our doors with insane stories of oppression and abuse and personal trauma. And instead of addressing their brokenness, our churches are providing services. What we want to do as a church and at the Lisbon Project is to intentionally create moments that are highly relational and empowering. Whether it's on a Wednesday night 
dinner before a Portuguese class or a Bible study, or whether it's when two people side by side do a CV together. That's what we started doing at the Lisbon Project a, a, a few months ago already, and it made our process a whole lot slower. But we used to just do CVs for people. We used to just, oh, you need a CV here, we'll do it. Many people who come to Lisbon Project don't even know what a CV is and the importance of a CV. And so we used to just, yeah, quickly, we'll do a CV. Here you go, go away. And then we realized, no, wait a minute, that's missing the point. It's missing the relational point, and it's missing the fact that this person doesn't even know their skills. They don't own their skills. They don't own their experience. And so we said, let's make this process, and, and our waiting list is 10 times longer now <laughs> for people needing a CV. But now we pair people up, and we say, here, here's a mentor. Why don't you sit with them, and let's really talk about your skills. Let's talk about your gifts. What are you good at? What have you done? What would you like to do? Where would you like the CV to end up? What kind of doors are you looking for? Because we're not just a quick fix service provider. We want to restore people's relationship with self and with God. So we want to commit for the long run. And this morning as we close and as we're going to enter a time of worship, I want to I want to ask you, will you make this commitment with us? Will you make this commitment with us as a church? Not to neglect those who are broken around us. Not to neglect those who have very, very, very urgent physical needs. And like I said, there is a time for relief. There is a time for just coming around somebody and saying, hey, I'll pay for that. Hey, don't, don't worry about that. Here's, here's a coat. It's winter and it's cold and I'll help you. There's a time for that. But we want to be committed to the long run where we see transformation in people's lives, where we see God just doing something new. And will God just stir our hearts this morning? Will God just clothe us with humility to understand how broken I am and how that brokenness has manifested in my life? We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. God, will you restore my relationship with you and with creation, and with my neighbors, and with myself. And maybe you're here, and, and you can very easily see how broken relationships have manifested in your own life. Maybe you have a broken relationship, and the sense of self is so broken in you that you need restoration and you need God to infuse that confidence and that worth and that value in you again. Maybe your relationship with God is just so broken that you don't even know how to talk to him. You don't even know how to come into his presence. You don't even know, what should I say to him? And so we're going to pray, God, just stir our hearts and restore, heal. Sunday mornings are a, a time of us coming together in our common brokenness saying, God, you are the healer. God, you are, are him who is powerful. God, nothing is impossible for you. Will you just do a work, transform? We don't want to leave that door the same way that we come, came in. God, will you do a work in us?
so that we can go out in this contagious passion for the kingdom of God that is not only just reserved for the future, but it is here and now. The King of Kings, our God, whose presence is holy and who we now have access to by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are thankful for salvation because it is what makes a new creation in us. And yes, we will spend eternity with Christ singing, holy, holy, holy are you, but his presence is here and now. And we can worship him here and now. Church, will you be committed to the great commission, to the great commandment, and to loving the poor around you? Let's worship.